Welcome to the Markeith Brayton Podcast. I am Markeith Brayton, former corporate nine-to-fiver turned lifestyle entrepreneur and personal brand business strategist. Each week, I will bring you inspiring personal development content and transformative interviews of some of today's most sought-after influencers and entrepreneurs who will help you unlock your fullest potential. Thank you for spending time with me today. Now let the class begin. Good day, good day, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Marquee Brain Podcast. And I have a great guest today that I can't wait to dive deep into conversation with. And it's a little bit of a different topic than usual, but I know it's one that a lot of people are interested in hearing about. And so my guest today is Miss Sheila Blackman. If you are looking to train your team on how to effectively navigate the U.S. federal government and pursue the right deals for your company, Ms. Blackman is the woman for you. Sheila Blackman, a native of North Carolina, is a seven-year consulting giant, I'd like to say anyway. She started at the bottom and worked with companies and eventually worked her way up to associate partner with Accenture before leaving and starting her own business. Sheila came from a family of eight children, so feeling lost and unimportant was given. She wasn't pretty enough, so she says in her bio, or she didn't have what it took to achieve her dreams. The negative words that were spoken to her caused her to have very low self-esteem. She held on to that with all that she had and was determined that she was going to prove him wrong. She worked hard in school, graduated with honors, and left North Carolina to pursue her dreams in IT. Sheila used the negative words that she grew up hearing to prove that she was more than what she heard. Sheila has won federal contracts that exceed $250 million in value and does not allow anyone to tell her she's not capable of succeeding. So today's guest, Miss Sheila Blackman, is on the Marky Berry Podcast, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Welcome, Sheila. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I am looking forward to our conversation as well. Awesome. Thank you for just taking the time out because I know you're very busy and so I won't keep you long, but I know you have some valuable information. So Sheila, go ahead and just share a little bit more about yourself that maybe I didn't mention from your bio because I know that you're so much more than those few words that on that paper. (laughs) Well, no, you did a great job. So I have um, been in business now, my own business, for about 10 years. Uh, I have been doing nothing but government contracting. Uh, I started, like you said, from uh, graduation from North Carolina A&T State University, go Aggies. Um, And I've done nothing but federal contracting for the last 33 years, uh, of which in the last 10 years, I've had my own business. And uh, we focus on really helping the agencies deliver their mission. Uh, What we found is growing up for me, I grew up uh, in low-income housing, And so one of my favorite clients is the Department of Housing and Urban Development, because if it wasn't for them, I don't know where we would have lived. But we focus on delivering services to the civilian agencies because their whole focus is making sure that the U.S. citizens are getting what they deserve and what they need from the U.S. government. 
So that's what we do. And then we teach other companies how to, to market and sell their services to the federal government. Because there's very little that the government doesn't buy. You just need to know how to sell it to the government. So this is really great. You know, I haven't spent a lot of time in, in even thinking about, you know, how to do business with government uh, services or government entities. But I know quite a few people who have great interest in getting and landing government contracts and, you know, doing business with the government. And so where I want to start is from the very beginning, you know, what are some things that really need to be in place before a person is ready to start working for or with the government? So the first thing is you have to have a legitimate company. Okay. And when I say legitimate, you have to be registered in whatever state uh, that you are operating in, or some people may register in the state of Delaware because there's reasons why. But you um, have to have a registered company. You have to have a DUNS number, which is a specific number that's applied to your company that distinguishes you from anyone else. You have to be registered in SAM.gov, which is the federal government's tool for tracking all of their contractors. And it captures a lot of information about you, your um, place of residence, your, I'm sorry, not your place of residence, your company, where your business is, what type of business you are, um, what type of work you actually pursue. Uh, they call it NAICS codes in the federal government. Uh, it has what's called the federal acquisition regulation. There are the FAR, which are statements that uh, help the government understand what kind of business you are, whether you're small, whether you're large, whether you're a woman, whether you're a veteran. Uh, and it's, it's really the government's way of validating that you are eligible mm -hmm. to pursue federal contracts. So you have to be a legitimate company. You have to have a DUNS number. You have to have a CAGE code, which actually is something that will come from you registering in SAM.gov. And then you're ready. That's it. That's all you need to be able to pursue federal contracts. So why, why do you need to have a DUNS and why is the EIN not enough? Well, so for the federal government, the DUNS number is, so your EIN is what they, they also require you to have your EIN, but the DUNS number is the um, federal government's additional uh, level of security for determining that not only are you eligible to, uh, you have a business, a legitimate business, but you're eligible to do work within the federal space. Okay. So they use that number to go back and track other things and to make sure that you have not done anything illegal. There are no uh, outstanding um, warrants or anything that's been issued against you. They use your social security, or not social security, but your EIN number to validate that you uh, pay your taxes and they get information for the Department of, of Treasury. So it's just another level of uh, information for the government to make sure they have the right company. And uh, it's their way of tracking you throughout all of their financial systems nice. and, and federal systems. Great. So I live in California. I live in Tennessee. I live in Ohio. I live in Georgia. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter where you reside when it comes to doing business with the federal government. No, no, you could have a business in Alaska. Um, you just have to be a U.S.-based company to be able to pursue federal contracts. So where you physically live, the only thing that impacts you is how much are you going to do as far as finding opportunities for your company? 
-hmm. So if you live in Tennessee, but you want to do work in DC, you may have to spend a little bit of time on the road to pursue opportunities in DC or establish a team in DC, but you could live any place and still be able to pursue federal contracts because contracts are awarded, not just in DC, they're awarded across the US. Uh, even in, in uh, you could actually get a contract awarded and if you're doing a DOD contract and you may be over in uh, Iran or Bahrain or wherever they, the, um, the deployment is. So no, it doesn't matter where you live. You can pursue federal contracts from where you live. Nice. And so one of the things that's always important or stressed in many of the conferences and many of the workshops I attend is, you know, really knowing what niche you're in or what industry you're in. How yeah. important is that when it comes to government contracts and being uh, someone or a business entity that is uh, known for what they do in particular? So it's extremely important because the way you win contracts is based on what we call past performance. Hmm. So you want to be clear as to what market you are working within and what your capabilities are, because the government wants to know where have you done this before? Mm -hmm. Who has bought what you sold before? Because they use that for determining, do we want to take a chance on awarding you a contract? Or I may look at it to say, is this a company that I can partner with to be able to go after a deal within the federal space? So being, being that company that's all over the place, no one's going to want to work with you because you're not going to be able to give them any confidence that you actually have got skills in a specific area. The other thing that the uh, federal government requires of all vendors is you have to identify your NAICS code, the North American Industrial Classification System. It's where they identify all different types of work, whether you're doing IT, marketing, communications, legal, privacy, whatever it is, there are a number of different NAICS codes that the government has in place. And you have to identify which ones best align to the kind of services that you provide, uh, whether it's to the government or to commercial entities, private, industry, uh, private sector. Um, but you need to be clear as to what do you do? And if you're not clear on what you do, it's going to be very hard for you to sell to someone else what you do. So it plays a huge part in you putting together your, what we call capability statements, putting together, together the meeting, um, preparing for a meeting with a, a particular federal client, looking at opportunities and understanding how that opportunity is something that you can deliver a solution or product or service to a, a federal client. So this is good information because coming out of the public health industry and the healthcare sector of, of government, I'm so used to uh, having to write or be a part of grants. Mm -hmm. Grants are different from what you're talking about, or is this all one big pot? So grants are different, okay. and they are acquired a little bit differently than uh, federal contracts. So you still have to put forth a... Um, a proposal for grants. It's just you go about the process a little bit different than you do for um, a federal contracts. Federal contracts, normally nine times out of 10, you're gonna be competing against other vendors. Grants, you could potentially be competing against other, other vendors as well, but it's just a different process as far as the type of paperwork and information that both sides look for. But either way, for both of them, You've got to make sure that you are an established business. You've got your DUNS number. You've got your cage code. 
your EIN is something that you're going to get when you uh, apply for your um, uh, apply as a business, uh, and that's your way of distinguishing yourself for Treasury. So those things are in common, but it's just how you actually go after the different types of contracts is a little bit different. Is there a particular industry or a particular segment of business that seems to be more lucrative than others when it comes to government contracts? So IT is always the most lucrative one, okay. but I tell people all the time, though there may be IT contracts that are being uh, solicited by the government, you got to read through the whole thing because if you do training, there's always training that's required with IT. If you do um, meeting planning, there's always a need to be able to plan meetings. You got to change the way you look at how you go to market. So it's a little bit hard for people to see how can I pursue federal contracts if I do real estate, for example. You got to think differently around how you would actually position yourself to be able to pursue contracts that deal with real estate. And it may mean that you as an entity may not be able to go after it as the upfront person or the prime vendor, but you may have something that large companies need and they need you because you're a small company and they have to have so much of the work go to a small business. Mm -hmm. So you guys have to change your way you look at going to market to be able to work with the federal government. But there's, like I said, there's very little that the government does not buy. Things that are legitimate and that are legal, they buy it. So you just have to figure out how do I actually sell what I do to the government or you hire someone like me who will teach you how to be able to sell what you do to the government. You know, because I, after meeting you, I was like, you know, I wonder if there's anything that I could do in the area of personal leadership or, you know, in the area of digital marketing or how could I get a part of or a piece of the pie doing what yeah. I do as a speaker, as a coach and, you know, someone who is a very, um, passionate about personal development and helping people perform better. Always, you know, I walked away, I was like, how can I get a piece of that pie? And wonder if some, you know, businesses like mine, as a consultant, as a speaker, could participate in the, the big uh, umbrella of government contracts. Yeah. yeah, so just like private industry trains their employees, the federal government does the same thing. Mm -hmm. And they sometimes will put a, a, a solicitation out for bid or what's even better is you find a problem that exists within an agency and you give them the solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. And if you're a small business, there's ways that you can actually be able to, to, uh, to position yourself where the government can actually award you what's called a simplified acquisition, okay. which is they can award you up to $250,000 to be able to deliver a solution to them for whatever that problem may be. So you have to just know how to go to market, but yeah, what you do, they buy it, they buy it. You just have to figure out how do I find exactly what it is that they are looking for and how do I find the right client? Now you mentioned you came from the HHS world or the health, mm -hmm. health services world. Mm -hmm. I would say you already have expertise in the health industry. HHS would be the first agency that I would push you to. Mm -hmm. And I would have you look at what problems are existing today that they need help with uh, solving. What kind of issues are they having around maybe like maintaining a secretary or a deputy assistant secretary or how, what problems are they having around uh, 
helping individuals feel like they actually can provide a value to the agency or feel like they even are of importance within the agency. So I think there's a lot of things that you have to look at. And I think today's um, government mm. gives you a lot of examples of areas where you, if you really understand what you do well, how you can actually go into self-services. You got me to thinking now because, and I haven't been in the industry since 2015, but you got me thinking about, you know, even maybe going back to the uh, FQHC sector uh, within the federal government and working with health centers and and their doctors about bedside manner, you know, or clinic right. manner and how personal branding and how connection between the doctor and the patients and the nurses and the patients could enhance the experience of the patient. So you got me really thinking about that. Yeah. That's good. It's just good. you have to change the way you look at going to market. But the government, like I said, they buy everything. You just got to mm-hmm. figure out how do I sell what I do to them in a way that they see value right. and they see the benefit that they're going to get from what I'm providing them. That's great. Great information. So when you are going after these government contracts, are they typically, you know, annual or are they multi-year or does it just depend on the uh, contract? So it depends. Um, Most of the contracts that we pursue are multi-year contracts. They're usually four to five years in duration. Um, But we, depending on the size of it, we may go after something that may only be nine months. It all depends. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the contracts uh, are usually a year in, du- in duration, um, and you price out what is it going to take for you to be able to deliver whatever that service is or whatever that uh, problem is they're looking for you to, you to resolve. You price out how long it's going to take you. But it's pretty easy when you look at the solicitations that come out. They tell you what type of contract it, it's going to be. They tell you whether they've set it aside for small or large. They tell you what the problem is. Um, They give you as much information as they have on if there's a current vendor. If you know how to do the research, the information about every single contract is actually um, information that you can find for free on the internet. You just just need to know where to go look for it. Or you hire someone like me to help you go look for it. Um, But yes, It's up to you. You can get short-term contracts. You can get long-term contracts. You can go as a prime. You can go as a sub. There's lots of different ways that you can actually go to market in the federal spaces. Nice, nice, nice. I like the different perspective on, you know, the different types of businesses. And, you know, the government is so huge. I'm not, you know, there are people like you who think about, you know, I could build a million dollar business just doing government, you know, contracts. But as people like me, like, I never really thought about, you know, uh, doing government contracts. Does it help that a business may have done contracting and work for their state government first before going to federal? No, no, it doesn't help you. I mean, what helps is that you've done work for your business. Right. Because now you've got past performance that you can actually speak to what results you gave another client. That's what helps. Um, state and local may help you a little bit in understanding how government works, but federal is so different from state and local that once you learn federal, federal has probably the most strictest rules around how you go to con- how you go to, to market, how do you win contracts, how you deliver. So if you do well in federal, you can go any place. 
Mm. You can actually be able to take what you've done there and go state and local. And definitely private sector is so much different than the federal space. But yeah, once you learn how to do things in the federal space, you won't be limited in anything that you can do in state and local or private sector. Awesome. Well, Sheila, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back right after this commercial. And we're going to dig maybe just a little deeper in how Sheila really got started and the steps she took to get the multi-million dollar contract she gets on an annual basis. So we'll be right back. One of the biggest needle moves in my business have been the implementation of funnels. Funnels have allowed me to do so much, like deliver free resources to my audience, helping me to build quality leads. They have also helped me to streamline my sales and online payments with their easy-to-use sales pages and payment gateways. I could have not done any of it without the right software to help called ClickFunnels. With ClickFunnels, you can build landing pages and sales funnels without a programmer and without knowing any code. These funnels walk your visitors through the sale in a way that maximizes conversions and earnings. The great thing about ClickFunnels is that it is just not your funnel building editor. It can also serve as your shopping cart, email autoresponder, membership software, affiliate management system, and so much more. Join over 90,000 entrepreneurs who actively use ClickFunnels to build their businesses by easily getting their message and products out to the world using ClickFunnels. Visit buildwithfunnels.com to start your free 14-day trial today. That's buildwithfunnels.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking to our guest today about government contracting and she just gave us so much information on you know how to go about uh, getting government contracting all of the information not all the information but some information on the types of contracts that exist but I want to kind of talk about how Sheila got into government contracting and the steps that she took in order to, you know, start really building a profitable business from government contracts. So Sheila, take us back to that day that you decided that you were going to, one, step out and start your business, and then two, build a successful business in government contracting. So um, as I told you, I've only done government contracting, even out of college. So my first job was working on the Steth Bomber, which some people probably don't even know what that is, but it was a DOD uh, contract I was working on. And it was exciting to me because I got a chance to really understand how the government works and to build a solution that was going to be used. And so I, I grew up in the, in the Fed space, but as a contractor. And uh, how I actually decided to start my own business was I was, as I said, I was an associate partner with... Uh, one of the large um, vendors, I'm not going to call their name, and uh, they did not promote me to partner. I had worked really hard. I had sold $250 million worth of work, and they didn't promote me. They promoted a man over me, and I got mad, and I quit. So I um, didn't really have a plan, but I quit and took a year off and said, I need to figure out. I need rest. I need to figure out what I'm going to do. And while I was resting, I said, oh, you know stop what? Stop right there. I think it's... Uh, a great feat to say that you were able to take a whole year off. <laughs> oh, 
yeah. I so as a associate partner, I made great money. I, I have to be honest, I made great money and I did well. And uh, I was able to take a year off and really decide what I wanted to do. Good. And uh, I decided that, you know, if I could do this for someone else, I could do it for myself. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I reached out to one of my old clients and I went in and met with them and said, you know, I've been on vacation for like a year and um, I'm ready to do something different. I'm ready to do my own business. And he said, okay, all right, you've sold us some great services. Can you come in and help me with? Mm. And he awarded me two contracts that were worth $300,000. Wow. So I started off in my first 30 days, I got $300,000 worth of contracts. And within my first year, I had closed about $1.5 million worth of contracts. But it was all based on relationships I had built when I was working in the government space, uh, partners that I had worked with, with this other company, and with clients that I had delivered services for under this other company. So I leveraged my uh, knowledge, my experience, my relationships to get started. And so that's, so that's a good principle right there in that, you know, though you may have gotten laid off like me, or you may have decided to uh, leave a position, you still have that opportunity to leverage relationships that you yep. had while working professionally at a particular company. Right. And unfortunately, somebody like me, when I got laid off, I really didn't even think about it. I was just pretty much done with healthcare. I was like, I'm done. I'm moving on. I'm going to start this business and yep. I'm not looking back. You yep. know, but in talking to you today, I'm like, maybe that wasn't the best decision uh, to have made considering the number of relationships that I had, the number of different um, entities that I had uh, come in contact with over the years in the area of compliance and uh, federal qualified health centers. But, you know, it's never too late to go back and maybe revisit that. So that's good. So I would say principle number one in this conversation is leverage the relationships you already have. Exactly. And that's why it's so important for you to maintain good relationships because you never know when one day you may be working with them and the next day they may actually become a client of yours. Wow. Good. Who do they like best? People that there's already they've worked with, they know what we do, they know how we do it. Who is it easier to bring in? Someone who doesn't know anything or someone who knows everything? So I know for me, I would call on you and say, okay, I'm looking at this opportunity and I know you worked there before. Mm-hmm. Can you help me understand how they do X, Y, Z? Oh, right. great. You know what? You did a lot to help me. We're very well positioned to win. I'm going to give you a couple of bodies on this job. That's how it works in the federal space. You got to bring something to the table that's of value to either an actual federal client or contractors that are looking to go after opportunities. And I would never tell anyone to go after something as a prime contractor when you're first getting started. Find someone that you can partner with because you want to get in. You want to be able to walk the halls. You want to be able to hear what's going on so you can organically grow. That's basically what I did. Well, a little bit different. So I actually did go in as a prime, but I I had done a whole lot. I had been at the agency for years, and so I knew a lot of people there. But I would never tell anyone that has never worked in a federal agency to try to go after something the first time by yourself. Find someone you can partner with so you can get some work under their contract and give you the opportunity to do what we call walk the floors. Okay. Be able to hear what's going on in the agencies, learn more about how they do things, their processes, their procedures, their standards, 
understand how they go to the market, understand who they're looking for, then start looking for opportunities that you may be able to position yourself for prime opportunities. Good. And so number two that I pulled out of this, that part is that collaboration is key. I was just telling somebody the other day that mm-hmm. I sense or feel, and not that it hasn't always been important, but I feel that there is this season of collaborative work that's going to yep. be beneficial for all businesses. And that yep. if you're not willing to collaborate, your business may suffer. Exactly. There is the day of, and I just had this conversation yesterday, and this whole idea that you can be prideful and believe you're the only one that can do it, those days are over with. Mm-hmm. You're going to find that there's going to be very few companies that are going to want to work with you. Mm-hmm. And you're going to find also that most clients, at least in the federal space, they're looking for diversity. Yeah. They don't want to get an answer from just one company. They want to be able to see a blend of different companies come together and give them a solution that may come from a number of different places, but it's something that's going to work for them. So you got to get to that place where you got to learn to collaborate because if you can't collaborate, it's going to be very hard for you. That's good. So leverage relationships that you've had and make sure that you are not really burning any bridges. Right. Collaborate with others who have expertise in areas that you may not, but that would help you to establish new relationships in the direction that you want to go. Now, one of the questions right. that I do have that after you got that first contract for 300000 and then uh, leveraged that into a, a one, over a million dollar contract, what did that look like as it pertains to help that you needed in order to fulfill the work? So I tell people this story and people get excited because they're like, oh, you got a $1.5 million contract. So one thing that people forget is I always tell people that I always get multi-year contracts. I don't get one-year contracts. Mm -hmm. So my $1.5 million contract was a four-year deal. Okay. So if you know how to do the math, you know I was only making a little over almost $300,000 a year on that contract. Mm -hmm. So the need for me to go out and get additional resources wasn't wasn't that key for me at that time. Okay. Because I actually could do the work myself. Okay. And I wanted to do the work myself because I wanted to get past performance, but I also wanted the ability to be able to be at the contract, be at the client site, have meetings with the CIO and other people so I could hear about other opportunities that were going to be coming up and other companies could actually get to know me and I could actually start building those types of relationships. So though it sounds great that I did $1.5 million, which it was, it was great. I was glad I won a $1.5 million contract. I didn't get it all in one year. And I had to learn how to figure out, to meet my targets, how much work can I do and how many resources am I going to need to bring in to do that work? So that's all, that's a part of learning how to really go to market in the federal government. Most people don't get multi-year contracts that are large contracts. They get, they may get a few months or they may do a year contract and there's just uh, the opportunity to be able to renew that contract may be easy or may not. In the government space, you will most likely be going after multi-year contracts. You got to understand, well, if I want to do that, how am I going to deliver this work? Am I going to keep delivering it myself or am I going to uh, have to bring a team of people in to do it with me? And so the type of business at the time and maybe still today is more consultative? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I do a combination of both consultative as well as delivery. 
Okay. And one of the reasons why I do the consultative is I work with CIOs and CFOs, the more senior level. So I want to be there to help them to look at strategically where they're trying to go and strategically the things they need to do. But I also want to be able to do development and data analytics and cybersecurity, where I may need to have a team that will come in and help the delivery of those solutions to the client. So I try to limit, and what you would need to think about as a CEO, you're going to limit how much of your time is being spent at a client site so that you can grow your business. Mm -hmm. But I will never tell a CEO when you're first getting started um, to, to go to 0% with a client. You need to be out there facing with the client and being able to have those conversations easily with them so that you can do what's called organic growth. You can take a $300,000 contract and grow it to $250 million if you know how to do it right. So it's a lot of things that you have to learn around how to go to market and you got to decide how big of a company you want and whether you want to stay small and just be yourself. It's a lot of things you have to think about when you start thinking about pursuing federal contracts. And so as you are growing your business and as you are getting larger contracts, what are the steps that you took in order to make sure that you have the capacity to fulfill those contracts? Did you wait until you apply for those bigger contracts to, you know, start building your capacity or did you build the capacity first and then apply for the bigger contract? So when you build out, so one of the things that I do, I don't know how anybody else, I can't speak to how anybody else does their, their uh, plan for their five-year plan. But when I built out my plan, I knew exactly the target that I wanted financially, what target I wanted us to pursue. I knew which agencies I wanted to uh, pursue to, to achieve those targets with a dollar amount for each agency. And so I knew that if I wanted to do, to do three and a half million dollars in new sales, I knew exactly how many resources I would need to be able to bring on to do that three and a half million. Plus, I also knew how much I could continue to do versus how much I need to to be able to give to someone else. So part of what you have to think about is how quickly do you want to grow? Because you don't need to have a huge staff when you first get started. You may, after two contracts of a half a million, you may say, I want to bring on an assistant. But you got to figure out a half a million dollars, how much can I afford to pay an assistant? So there's a lot that you need to think about, about as you're looking at your financials, because your financials will drive when you can start to bring people in. And you know how hard you got to work on your business development to win contracts to make sure you can actually pay for the people that you're bringing in. So one of the great things about the federal government and federal contracts that I love is that you learn how to really think about your overhead and your GNA and your fringe and your profit and how you actually develop all of that long before you ever pursue any contract. Okay. So you'll know how many resources that you're going to be bringing in that are going to be client facing, meaning the ones that are going to really bring the money into the company and how many people are going to be in your back office that are going to be needed to help you operate, but they don't help you in bringing any revenue into the company. So it teaches you a lot around how to have a more stable business and understand when you need resources, how much you can pay for resources, when you transition resources, when you promote resources, you get bonuses. It's a whole lot that it actually helps you to start to think about long before you ever pursue a contract. So much, so much information, so much value today in this episode. 
more than I could pack into a 30 to 40 minute um, podcast, but it's, it's just amazing of the information that's out there that's available for people to, you know, really create what they want to create. And that's what the podcast is about. That's what my business is about is really helping people to, you know, shift their mindset about what's possible uh, in whatever uh, area that you are, are moving in. And so what was that inspiration outside of the fact that you knew you wanted more and you got turned down? What has kept you going? My children. Hmm. Really, my children. Um, I have three children. And there was a period in my life where I took a step away from the growth of the company because I went through a divorce and other things. And I looked at my kids and I had established a lifestyle for them that I said I didn't want to take from them. And so as I grew, started to grow the company, I realized that, you know, when I'm gone, I need to have someone that I'm going to transition this to. I don't want to just sell the company. I want my kids to continue to grow the business. And so I invest a lot of time in my kids and, and what they do and how what they do can feed into the company and when I'm ready to leave, I can transition it to my daughter and to my son. So it's my children and my grandchildren that really drive me. They're the ones that make me get up when I don't want to get up because I'm. my whole goal is <laughs> to make sure that I'm setting and leaving a legacy for my children and my grandchildren. I, own, I That's why I do it. And I love being able to do and give back to others. I, I absolutely love sharing this kind of information with people. And people ask me all the time, Sheila, why do you share so much information? Because you can't beat me. Why should I hoard it? Why? I mean, really and truly, why should I hoard it? I'm hoping that when I share it with you, we become partners. And yeah. as I'm looking for opportunities, I can actually call on you and say, hey, I got this deal. You want to go to market with me? So I have a, a different perspective around how I look at it. I feel I can share this information with you. I can help you be successful because I'm hoping that at the end of the day, we're going to help each other. And the fact of the matter is, is that we live in the information age. Everything exactly. that you just shared, you could find somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, you yeah, know, you but it's so much, it. right? Yeah. It's so much more better to receive it from the person who's been there, done that, and successfully doing it. But the fact of the matter is, is that still ninety percent of the people, even when they get the information, still won't do anything with it. Right. Right. So the one thing I tell everyone that's interested in becoming a federal contractor is this. Don't get so excited about the price tags that you see right. on these contracts and these deals. Be happy with a $250,000 contract because some people never even make $250,000 in their day-to-day -day job. Right. Take something small and learn how you manage that small. Mm. Learn how you figure out how much you have to pay in taxes and how much you can pay in salaries and how much you need to be able to maintain out of every invoice so that you can start to build up that financial backing that you need and be excited about the fact that you just get the opportunity to work with a client and learn about that client. So don't try to think that, oh, if I can't get a million dollars, oh, I'm not going to do it. Okay, then don't do it. But at the end of the day, I can tell you that being able to get five $250,000 deals where maybe you and four other people can actually be able to get to that million dollars does a whole lot for you, gives you greater past performance, gives you confidence in your ability to be able to deliver to the government. And even more, hopefully you love this country enough that you say, wow, look at how, what my uh, solutions are doing for that agency, for U.S. citizens, for 
the people of this country. So it, take a different mindset when it comes to pursuing federal contracts. And not that you need any more credibility than you already have, but this is the question. What has been your biggest government contract to date? So before I left the company that, um, well, what, under, under my company or just overall in my career? Well, you can do both. Overall in your career okay. and for your company. So before I left um, the company that I was working for, I was one of the partners of the bar that was a part of this $10 billion deal. Mm. And I was responsible for the IT portion of it. They had business IT training, a whole lot of different um, uh, capabilities. And I was responsible for the IT, which of course was the biggest part of the contract. So we all got credit for this $10 billion deal. That's the biggest deal I've ever worked on was 10 billion. Inside of my company, the largest deal that I have brought in is about $2.5 million. Mm -hmm. It's the largest one single contract that we brought in. Nice, nice, nice. And so as we come to a close of the podcast, what final words would you say to the person who's been on the thought only of stepping into government contracting, and now they're like, maybe I should. What final words would you say? So what I would say is this, um, do your homework, make sure you get yourself set up to be able to pursue, and find you someone that's going to train you on how to really pursue federal contracts. Don't try to do it by yourself. It, it, there, information is out there, it is free, but it takes a long time to get to the place where you really understand how to go to market. And the reason why most small businesses fail after five years is because they never took the time to really understand how do I go to market and how do I make sure when I price a deal, I'm actually making money on it versus I'm making less than I did at my full-time job. So really take the time to learn how to go to market before you jump into wanting to pursue contracts and, and wanting to win contracts. Nice. And if nothing else, you can always hire me to help you learn how to be successful in the federal market. Which is my next and final question. How do people learn more about you and reach out to you? So you can go to governmentcontractorcoach.com and it has uh, the types of services that we provide as well as you can sign up for a free 30-minute uh, um, session with me where we'll talk more about what you do, what you're looking to do, and how we can help you to be able to do that within the federal space. Awesome. Give that one website one more time. Governmentcontractorcoach.com. Governmentcontractorcoach.com. I know that this podcast was filled with value, and I know that you are going to walk away just saying, I need to learn more about Sheila. So go to her website and learn more about her and then book that complimentary session with her so that she can learn more about what you do. I appreciate you joining me each and every week right here on the Marquee Brayton Podcast. And don't forget to go to iTunes or your favorite podcast app and like and subscribe to the podcast and also leave us a review. Let us know what you thought about today's show. I don't take it for granted that each and every week you stop by to listen to these episodes. And I'm always, always excited that you send me an email or send me a message and let me know that you really got a lot of great value from this. So hope you have a great rest of your day and week. And just remember this, always shoot for the top because it's the bottom 
that's overcrowded. Take care.